we introduce Nick Casario as a GM of the Houston Texans and ask our fans to trust that we know what's right. We are an organization committed to bringing a championship to the city of Houston. It's been reported that Sean feels left out of the process, that he and I had several visits and I understood his point of view before meeting with candidates. I've reached out to Deshaun about Nick's hire. While Nick was always high on our radar, we began a new search because we knew Nick was a well sought after candidate who had multiple options to pursue. Because of their professional history, I sought out Jack's feedback on Nick as a leader. We do not consider ourselves the Patriot South. We are here to lead this team, the Texans way. And welcome to another episode of the Turn Up For What podcast, talking your favourite soap opera on Curvy Drive, straight from the Great British Isles. We're joined by one of the smoothest tones on Sports Radio 610 and host of the B-Block podcast, Brandon Scott. How you doing? Hey, man, I appreciate the introduction. I'm doing well. I'm, I'm trying to make sense of all of this, just like you are, just like the fan base is. So, um, so yeah, man, I'm just, I'm just here for the fight, here for the struggle, man, trying to see what's going on. Well, that's it. We'll try and make some sense so of this essentially clown show that's transpired in the last week. I think it feels like a lot longer than a week um, since the season's over. We're just only past the wild card games, and we've got a lot to talk about today, but probably not football. So if I try and set it up before we get to the, the, the nuts and bolts of it all, and we'll try and break some of it down. Stop me at any point, Brandon, if I get this wrong, but I've tried to piece this together. So as of Monday last week, everybody connected to Corn Ferry believed that Omar Khan was the front runner for this job. And most likely, being all being well, the prime candidate for head coach was going to be Matt Eberflus. At this stage, everybody close to the process knew of anything, didn't know of anything different. Although there was a, an interview slated for Nick Casario, despite not being on the list, and John McLean was very quick to point out he was on a previous list in the number one candidate when they conducted a search two years ago. But that was not the thinking of the of the of the group at that point. Now, multiple sources have said that both Can and Lewis Riddick, who was the second in the running from ESPN, according to again reports, both stated in their interviews that Jack Easterby's position in this franchise, if you wanted to move forward, was untenable. Then at some point, here comes the intervention. At some point late on Monday, the agent or Easterby, or a combination of both, Bob Lamont puts a call into Cal about the possibility of Casario might be joining Carolina, despite his interview being one of four Zoom interviews that day, and they're now currently up to 13 GM interviews in Carolina. So then Tuesday rolls around. We're none the wiser at this stage. The Texans are set to interview Joe Brady and Trent Kirchner from the Seattle Seahawks on that day as a final interview. They still have an outstanding interview with Scott Cohen of the Ravens. It's then reported at some point during the day that Casario is in person for his interview. And John McLean, again, who I think seems to be reasonably close to Cal, or closest of anyone at this stage anyway in terms of the reports, comes out and says, wouldn't be shocked if it's him. Now, by late Tuesday, it emerges that an agreement is in principle for Nick Casario to be the next GM of the Houston Texans. They don't announce it due to the, the ongoing incident in Washington. They wait until the Thursday. The press conference ensues, does not necessarily inspire any confidence via sound quality or content. <laughs> Saturday then rolls around. It's reported from NFL Network source, Tom Pelissero. Iberflus has pulled out, um, likely because he's been advised to by his agent, because obviously, you know, talks and like this go on, you know, in back channels before these things are set up. The Texans then reportedly again comes out during the, the wildcard games on Sunday around 3 p.m. Eastern that they pulled out of negotiations with Omar Khan after offering him the job to go and sign Casario. Again, a move that nobody saw coming. Well, first of all, Brown, does that timeline, have I missed anything there? That's, the that's thing, a week, by the way, everyone. <laughs> well, yeah, no, the, the, the timeline is airtight. The only thing that I would that I would push back on is the idea that he had been offered the job, that Omar Khan had been offered the job. The folks that I've talked to, that part doesn't seem to be exactly accurate, but the idea that he was the front runner, I think is is safe to say that, that, that he was in line to be, to get the job or to be the front runner before 
this intervention happened with, like you said, either Jack Easterby, his uh, his, his agent, Bob Lamont, or, or some type of combination of the two. Yeah, I, the, the premise that he was offered the job, they then pulled the rug and then offered the job to somebody else when you still had, you would have still had to interview Caserio at some point. I can't believe, I mean, I mean, I wouldn't put it past him. But I, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think he was actually offered the job. Though. Yeah, I think he, yeah, it was it was getting there, but it hadn't quite gotten there yet, from what I understand. Um, so he wasn't quite offered the job, but it did seem like it was trending in that direction. Have you ever seen at any point the amount of leaks and the amount of stories about one team in a short space of time? Now I know it's been a long time since we've hired a GM and a head coach together. Um, probably Kubiak and then Larry um, Rick Smith following that. Yeah, in football, no, no, I I don't remember this. Now there was a piece in the Athletic um, that that published Monday that I thought was interesting by Mike Sando, where he points out back in the '80s or at some point, I guess that whatever the season was of Dan Marino's age twenty four season, that there was a very public back and forth and contract dispute between Dan Marino and the Miami Dolphins and that even led to leaks from both sides where I wouldn't even call it leaks because they were very open and transparent about both sides of their negotiations I think this might be one of the better parallels to that uh, obviously that was a different day and a different time in, in how information and, and how media worked but that's the closest parallel parallel that I have. And and for Texans fans, that's a good one, a positive one, because that ended up working itself out, even though, you know, they never won a Super Bowl. But they got to hold on to Dan Marino at the very least. So that's the that's the only parallel I have for you, man, honestly. Yeah, I, I think I think you we've all got to remember in the age of clicks and the age of, you know, pressure on the change in media consumptions by people, there's there's a propensity to you know, I think it was what was it called? Informed speculation was one yeah. of the phrases used. And I mean, if you you know, you've got to be able to see through that at some point. I think there's a balance to be had when you when you try and rationalize all these reports that you see, and it just feels like a constant flow. Every time you get a notification, it's something. And yeah. I think you've got to get a balance between the 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 understanding of the current media environment and the heightened pressure on insiders, if you like, to, to put stuff out there. Uh, but I also think it's exposed the Texans in a way for what they are because when Amy Pouchett left, and I know you and I just talked about that the last time we were on together, but there was a, a direct quote from somebody immediately on Twitter. I can't remember the woman's name, but prominent figure. And she said something about Amy's done a great job at keeping the wolves from the door for the longest. And I think we're maybe starting to see what that meant. Yeah, I, I think that even beyond just Amy as an individual, we're seeing what it's like when you don't have like PR is just not some kind of uh, minimal job. Like it's a it's it's something that especially is an entity as public as the Texans that you truly need. And so we're seeing what it's like when such a big operation like the Texans is operating without someone who has this kind of savvy and has this kind of uh, expertise. Now, that's not to say anything specifically about Amy. Like, they, they just need someone. <laughs> they need someone to, and I know we're going to get into this later on um, in terms of, like, what was going on with Cal's opening statement. But, but just as an example, they need someone who can read a speech or understand that you're about to have the biggest press conference in the history of your franchise and say, you know what, Cal, I don't think you should say we're going to build a wall. You know, like things like that, like yeah. especially two days after there was an insurrection at the at the at the at the nation's capital that was very much tied to the president of the United States and the person who is known for the term like the term is forever now linked, especially in, in, in public discourse, forever linked to a particular individual. And then for two days later, for that to be your choice of words, like that's just an example, a tangible example for yeah. you of, of why you need somebody who's a professional and, and who thinks along these lines and thinks on these terms. Yeah. And yeah, we'll come on. Yeah, we'll definitely come on to that. But I think that was so telling, not that it should be new news to anybody, but just a couple of points before we get into that. Yeah. I thought was interesting. The change of direction. Do you do you think it legitimately? I, I, I think of it two ways. How the how the the process went off course, you know, and I use the phrase that you know, 
Easterby's reached over and uh, and turned the turned the wheel at the central reservation. You know, as as we're as we're on this journey, right? And that's kind of what it feels like and what yeah. it looks like from outside. And I think that like we're got to, touching back on that PR element of it doesn't matter what you think it is. You're a public interest, so it matters what everybody else thinks. You know, end the story. Um, similar, you know, to politics in that way. You know, you're talking about insensitive phrases, and it just it's it's not what you do; it's how you do it. And I think that's what we're really struggling with at the minute because we don't have anybody that's got a bit of nose inside there. But on the intervention, was that a, was that an itch from Cal that he said, I wanted this guy, he was my number one guy two years ago, I think we need to pull it because he's the best guy. Now, I suppose the easiest way to answer that, Brandon, is uh, just say it was Omar Khan uh, mm-hmm. and Casario. You've got a choice of the two. Who do you take? Between, for me? Yeah. Honestly, without all of this, uh, with all without all of this background and without all of the context, I honestly would have picked Nick Casario out of the two. Um, if we're just talking straight resume, I, you know, I love what Nick Casario has done, or at least what he's been a part of. It's hard to say. It's really hard to say exactly what he's done because of Bill Belichick's role and because Bill Belichick runs everything in New England. So it's hard to know exactly how big of a role he plays for sure. But when you look at the resume, I mean, it, it's a it's an impeccable resume as far as it goes. Now, it's hard to project and know exactly, especially if a guy's never been a general manager before, how exactly that's going to play out, how those skills and experience is going to translate. But just on paper, I'm fine with the Nick Casario hire. I don't I don't have many uh, objections. I've got some questions about some of the things that went down in New England, but I don't have an overall objection to the idea of Nick Casario himself in a vacuum. So if I'm honest with you, I probably would have picked him. Now, with the context of everything that we know surrounding this thing, yeah, no, I I find it troubling that they hired Nick Casario because of his connections to Jack Easterby. I'm not as bothered by the connection to New England as I am specifically to Jack Easterby. You know, I'm not one of these folks who's like obsessed with them trying to be the Patriot South. Like, I think that's silly and corny, but but I, but I, I do think that there are some things and there are some people out of there that you can hire and it can still be a good hire. Like, I'm not allergic to the Patriots. I don't like this influence of of Jack Easterby, and I don't think it's good for the organization or the franchise. And Omar Khan, while he seems to have a different type of background, like not necessarily as as much the personnel side as it is more so of the business and maybe this more strategic analytical side, I think that he would have been a fine candidate and and probably the better one for both optics. And I know that's not the whole sole reason why you want to hire a GM. But you've got a qualified guy coming from the Pittsburgh Steelers, which is like if you're going to try to emulate other organizations and, you know, if, if the Patriots is one, the Steelers to me should certainly be one as well. And and, and it's all there. Like all of the qualifications are there to hire Omar Khan. Um, so so with the context and everything that we know and the influence of Jack Easterby, if it would mean that I could get that out of the building. I would go Omar Khan over Nick Casario if you're if you're giving me all the information. Yeah, I, I spoke to somebody a couple of days ago and they told me the plan was if 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 Khan took the job, Matt Bazargan would have got a, a leg up and might have been sort of assistant GM and run the personnel side of it, and uh, and he would run pretty much everything non you know non football directly. Um, that was the thinking because he's salary cap expert. He does have the final say, but Bazargan would take an extra role, and you saw what they thought of him. Through the through Corn Ferry by giving him an interview uh, for that, and whether that's true or not, I don't know. We'll probably never know definitively. Well, well, the thing the thing that never made sense to me about that, though, just real quick, was that Matt Bazigan's been with the team since 2018. Like he's been a part of the organization through this entire time that they've run it through the ground. So it it was always odd to me and frustrating, to be quite honest with you, that if Matt Bazigan was a legitimate option. He should have been a legitimate option in 2019. He should have been a legitimate option in 2020. And the fact that he wasn't, I don't know what to make of that if it says more about the Texans and Eptitude or if it says more about Matt Mazigan. That part I can't tell you to, to, to be sure. But it is odd that all of these things have happened and you found yourself in this situation as an organization and the supposed fix that you think might, or the person that you think might be able to fix it is somebody that you've been employing the entire time. You know, um, you know, one of the questions that I asked Cal McNair during the during the press conference was, and I know we're going to get to some of this, but like, why did you keep this guy? Why did you keep Jack Easterby as the interim GM? And why are you keeping him now with all of these other things that are going on? 
you know, and I didn't I didn't name Matt Bazergan in my in my question, but it, it begs that question. Like if you've got a personnel guy, if you've got a football guy in the building and not just a football guy, but one that you respect enough to hi- to to interview for your GM opening. Well, what the hell? You know, where where's this guy been and where has the attention to this guy been? Why'd you let Bill O'Brien run things? You know, why'd you let Jack East be be his right hand guy instead of Matt Bazigan? None of that makes sense. No, I know. And I think that probably speaks to whichever way things went, you were probably going to get a tone deaf response, even even if Corn Ferry carried Cal from point A to point B, there was probably going to be something in there that people thought doesn't look quite right. And I think the fact that Bazargan was interviewed, I think, yeah, it just screams that. And I think even even if you put it in the most simplistic terms of why did Bazargan not be named, or James Lipfurt, either or, and I think Lipfurt will have a role to play in this new thing. Bazargan's future is probably more up in the air now. But why did you not give him the interim GM title instead yeah. of Easterby? That would have been, and again, it's big problems, but simple fixes. And I thought that was interesting. If they'd hired Casario, Brandon, and but didn't create this public ruse of a corn ferry paying them $600,000, whatever it might be, if they'd have just avoided all that and said, we're doing our search, and just went to straight to Nick Casario and hired him at the same timeline they did without all these other interviews, or maybe some of the interviews, but if they just went there and got it done promptly, do you think you would be quite in this position? Maybe not in this position, but especially publicly and around the league. Like I'm, I'm really interested how that question applies to Deshaun Watson because it does seem like his uh, discontent was that he wasn't part of the process. Like if they had been more transparent about it and, and blunt about it in the beginning and said, hey, Deshaun, we love you and respect you, but we're going to do this on our own or this is, the, this is already the guy that we're pretty sure we're going to hire and let's talk it out, you know, like if they just kind of hard stop said – this is the, these are the terms of, of, of engagement. Like Nick Casario's our guy for sure. Um, I, I am curious on how that would have gone over with Deshaun Watson. I'm not sure. I can tell you, though, from the people that I hear the most, which are the fans and, you know, our text line at the radio station and our social media following, that that would not have gone well either way with the fan base because there is this exhaustion, this fatigue with the Patriots and trying to do what they do. So I, I don't think it would have gone over any better with like locally. Um, I think that it would have been the same sort of reaction. Uh, but this this whole Deshaun Watson element um, just adds a little fuel to the fire. Do you think much of the frustration with the Patriots way or, you know, inverted commas, and I know Casario touched on that, but if they'd have come in to that press conference in the open statement and said, we've conducted our initial search or review of the of our football operations and and we'll just to let you know from from here on jack easterby will no longer be part of football operations in this franchise if they had done that right at the start of the press conference you it would have been a pin in the balloon it would have changed the tone entirely i think because you, i i don't know what you thought and i suppose when you're not there in person and i don't think cal does an open mic if you guys are all in the studio there are all all in the all in the all in the room. I, I think he only did it because it was on Zoom and it was it gave him a bit of a barrier. Um, yeah. But if they had made a move like that, not that they're capable of, because again, it comes back to that tone deafness thing. But if they had made a, a move like that, you could have put a whole new complexion on it. Now this comes back to PR and optics. You know, a phrase that everybody's a lot used is commonly used by a lot of people right now. But it just felt the way they bumbled into that just was a you know a complete projection of what the owner is and i just think is inept and i think that showed really it showed before the press conference and they must be aware of it because well they were aware of it in terms of that opening statement but it just the way it kind of rambled on and it didn't really necessarily hit the per- it touched on the pertinent points but it showed a complete lack of understanding of the root cause of these points i thought yeah, so I'm not sure that they that there was any way to win the press conference, quite honestly, based on what had happened, based on why we were there and the circumstances around it. I don't think that there was any way for Cal to win. Um, I think that I think that he tried to, th- to throw some cold water on the Jack Easterby thing. He tried to. He didn't do a good job of it. Uh, I'm talking about Cal McNair. 
Um, but but it's all still there. And, and, and what I'm getting at here is that if they had done what you're saying, most of us would have seen right through it. Like, quite honestly, we would have seen right through it um, because it's just not. Tr- it, first of all, it's not true. Um, let's just start there. This idea that Jack needs to be is not going to be involved on the personnel side, that he's not going to be involved in anything in particular. I don't think it's something that you can believe or feel comfortable with, with that idea or that concept. Jack used to be is firmly in power, is firmly uh, influential into this organization. And, and Nick Casario's hire only validates that um, if, especially if you listen to how Nick talked about Jack used to be and even just listen to some of the things, not just how he talked about him personally, but some of the things that he said about how, you know, it, does, it, it takes more than one guy to run an organization and how he'll have an important role. They tried to, like I said, tried to co- throw cold water on the idea of him being involved in personnel decisions, but he's absolutely going to be involved in personnel decisions. Nick Casario, I do believe is going to get the the final say. That's what they hired him for. I do think that, you know, Nick Casario is going to be able to do his job, but he's going to have Jack Easterby right by his side, right in his ear, the same way that Bill O'Brien did. The only hope for Texans fans in that regard is that, you know, and I do believe this, that Nick Casario is a much more competent personnel person than Bill O'Brien could have ever dreamed of. And and also, and, and my, co- my colleague Landry Locker has pointed this out, and I'm hoping for this, I don't know how true this is, but he points out that, but with their given their relationship, Jack Easterby's and Nick Casario's, if anybody knows Jack Easterby's limitations and and the role that he should have, if any, within a football organization, it should be Nick Casario. So you can take some solace in that if you like, and and, and I I do hope that that is true, um, but but I do not believe that the Cal McNair can just simply say. Jack Easterby's not going to be involved in the personnel decisions. And then we just go ahead and, and, and take that for, for gospel, because I, I just, I quite frankly do not believe it to be true, especially based off of their hire. Yeah. And, and then the, the depictions of him when he was in Jacksonville and he just basically dicked around, went around every room telling people how to do their jobs when he was basically an intern, when, he gets involved and everything, makes processes clunky just so he can have a an input when actually he's got no real material value to add. It's clear. You know, that was so clear by Vanessa Richardson's question. Was yeah. can you need and, and I could tell it was coming just the way she teed up, went, Hi Cal, how are you? And I thought here comes which is gonna, you know, the classic uh, classic distract them and then hit them with something. And uh it's what specific skills does he have? And 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 that was the bit where I think because your question and like when Brian T. Smith, you know, he almost, you could almost hear the emotion in his voice when he asked the question because, you know, like, like a lot of the media members, whether you're from Houston or not, or whether you're somebody like me, you care, right? And you want to see this thing work out in the best way possible it can for number four. And you could hear the emotion in Brian's voice when he asked that question because he, it hurts him too because he's got to write about it. He's got to make sense of something that doesn't make sense. And I know him and O'Brien had a fractured relationship, partly because he was willing to put his head above the parapet at times, you know. And, and I, I think that sometimes the criticism, isn't it, that you know not enough people have been hard enough on the team consistently when they've made glaring mistakes. But I don't think it would have made a difference because they take no notice. And I think that was the most fraught I've ever seen watching this team for ten years feel the tension in a press conference. But when Vanessa asked that question, there was no answer. But then when Casario jumped in, I think he used a couple of phrases that I thought we might be fucked here. Because when he said to serve, and that means serve God, that doesn't mean serve, that doesn't serve meals out in the canteen. That's, you know, to the players. That's not serve a purpose in this building. And I just thought, and then and then when he outlined the fact that he had been taken through a really hard time in his life, and Jack had played a big role in that, and I thought, oh, I thought, yeah, I mean, what do you do with that? Well, yeah, what do you do? How do you tell a guy who? Because that, that's that's why this is an uphill battle for 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 anyone who cares about this team. How do you tell a guy who views his friend? as someone very critical to his life and personal things that have nothing to do with what we're here for. How do you tell that guy, no, you actually need to distance yourself from that guy. 
you need to you, you you need to put him in his place. It's it's hard to do. Like and so we're we're dealing with something that has nothing to do with the purpose for which we are here. Yep. And that's that is that is the frustrating part. And I, I think it, it plays out two ways. I think you've got to see one that and look and I thought Casario tried really hard to try and put a personable image of his some of the phraseology was a bit strange and probably a bit too much detail about his kids and whatnot. But he was he was trying to he was trying to humanize himself to the audience. And people that do that in an awkward way because it's not natural to them. And Cal talked about that. I'll we'll come on to that second interview he gave, which I think was a bit of a slip. But people are trying to 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 do that to to make them feel approachable, personable when it's not. And I think you can see quite through that. You can see how he was rattling that that bottle of water screw top on and off consistently. You could hear it on the mic. He, he kept it off camera, but when you listen back to the cleaner audio version on the on the website or on the app, you can hear it that it was. Wasn't comfortable experience for him, so I think he felt it. Um, and I might be giving Cal too much credit here, but I think he felt it when he used the classic tactic of if somebody asks you a tough question, get, hit them back with something flowery. And he did that about the golf game, about ice bucket challenge, yeah, and, yeah. and all that kind of stuff. And I don't know if that was a genuine tactic because the man is what sixty something, um, yeah. but going on sixteen uh, in emotional intelligence. Um, but he, I don't think it was a comfortable experience for Casero. So the point I'm probably trying to make is he, he, he felt that. That was obvious. When you think you've worked 20 years of your life, blood, sweat, and tears, regardless what organization it was in, and of the only 12 questions, if you don't include some of the follow-ups, four of them were about somebody who's already in the building. So he'll hopefully recognize that. And then you saw some of the follow-up interviews and people asked direct questions and it was kind of bounced away a bit more uh, subtly than it was in, in the in the open one. But is he intelligent enough to see beyond his own per personal feelings to a guy when he goes around the building, once this head coach and hire, and we might be doomed on that because of the situation already created, but once he goes around the building, canvases opinion, now, there won't be too many people in that environment who will be willing to give up that opinion freely. But if enough people do that and say, look, this is where I think go wrong and uh, this guy's influence is toxic, he's not doing his job correctly if he doesn't address that. Considering the fact that he was involved in the 18 months of downfall, which has basically put us in a hole. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with the words you said. The, the caveat here, the issue is, I think that Nick Casario is going to be in a very tough place in how he navigates the Jack Easterby situation because it's not going to catch him off guard. Like it's the it's the first thing that he had to deal with when he got here, you know. So it's it's in his face. Deshaun Watson's up happy, unhappy. He's not the only player. He's not the only prominent player who's unhappy and and quite frankly wants Jack Easterby gone. So this is an issue that goes beyond just in the building and with the fan base. It's in the locker room. So it's all over. Like if he wants to find enough ammunition to get rid of Jack Easterby or to at best, or I should say at worst, minimize Jack Easterby's role, he can find it. Like it's not going to be difficult at all. The issue is how does he navigate the relationship with A, him being Jack Easterby, being Nick Casario's friend, personal friend, not just work acquaintances, but his per clearly his personal friend, the way he talked about him. And then B, this and this is the this is the kicker and the tough part. He's kind of his boss. He's he's the Jack used to be his his quasi Nick Casario's boss. Now I hope that their personal relationship can be the filter, can be the thing that helps them navigate and figure out exactly what that looks like. But Jack used to be the boss. Jack used to be the reason why Nick Casario got the job. Jack Easterby is the reason why Nick Casario is going to have thirty million dollars in his thirty million extra dollars in his pocket. That's the boss. So I, I mean, I just don't know. I don't know what the intel, how like how the intel is going to factor into how he navigates his relationship with Jack Easterby and Jack Easterby's role with the organization. Because I don't think, I don't think that Nick Casario is going to have any control over Jack Easterby. All I can hope is that his competence and their personal relationship can be the filter, can be the thing that keeps Jack Easterby from overstepping. 
You know, that's that's all you can really hope for. Because other than that, like Jack, like I said it before, he is firmly in power. And so and how does that affect everyone else? Do you trust like especially if you don't know Nick Casario from anywhere? They're like, well, how transparent can you comfortably be with Nick Casario? I, you know, what can you tell? What would you tell him about Jack Easterby that you don't feel like is he, he might either take personally or take the Jack Easterby and say, you know, and then have the message manipulated? So I don't I, I'm very much just curious to observe how that all plays out when Nick Casario goes around the building, talks to players, the key players that he wants to talk to, the ones that they're considering keeping or, or whoever that may be. Uh, I'm very, very much uh, interested to see how all of that plays out. I thought it was interesting. And look, I mean, a lot of people have made a lot of the contract. And I think, again, it's what it signals making him the third highest paid GM. And he's never been a GM before. But the the the, this, the nugget in, I think it was Saturday's article by McLean in the Chronicle, it said that Susie Thomas, VP Legal, who's a name that you, you very, very rarely hear, was supposedly yeah. the one that negotiated that contract. Now, that suggests to me that was because Jack Easterby couldn't do that because it would be a conflict of interest because they've got the same agent. And it's, you know, and I think if you look at the, you know, astronomic deal given the Tunsil, well above market value, the, the deal to Watson, player friendly in terms of cash flow, certainly. APY, I can get on board. But in terms of the cash flow and the structure, I think it was pretty friendly. And I think the agent got that there. Now, I think Deshaun's agent plays a big part in that. David Magaletta was just voted the number one most influential agent in sports. Mm -hmm. I think it was Forbes. And he's obviously advising there. And I think he probably sees to a degree. Now, it's been, it's been a long time held in the NBA that players had an influence and I think the the that model I think certainly appeases um certainly appeases well it's an opportunity I think first and foremost but I th- and I think it's right in some senses that he is the most irris- irris- irreplaceable indispensable employee in your building he's the highest paid employee by some distance you know we're talking about paying Casario six million a year when Watts is making what 38 39 so right. so that just shows you the important you, you showed that importance by a financial investment so I think there's only one person that can get Easter be whacked, and it's Deshaun, with the help of his agent. Yeah, <laughs> it seems. I'm gonna tell you, man. It seems like it should be that way, but I would, I would submit to you that if that were the case, then it would have, and certainly should have, already been done, because there's there's nothing that's going to be more revealing than how Deshaun Watson feels now. Um, I, I thought that the Sports Illustrated article from a few weeks back was pretty revealing. If if that article and then pieces of it, or I should say a great bit of it, has been confirmed through your superstars, if that isn't enough, I'm not sure what is. Like I, I I'm hard stop on this trade Deshaun Watson conversation. I don't see it playing out that way. I'd be shocked. But <laughs> at this point. It feels like it feels like Cal McNair and even I'll even throw Nick Casario into this after hearing from him. It seems like they are firmly ready to consider choosing Jackie's to be over Deshaun Watson. As absurd as that, I don't know the people that are listening right now probably just threw their drink at at their audio device or wherever they're consuming this. But it feels that way. Um, and that wasn't a direct question, you know, Jack used to be or, or Deshaun Watson, and it probably would have been a loaded one and not received very well if that had been asked. But that is sort of what it feels like it's coming down to. And like what you're saying is logic is 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 sense. I'm not sure if it is actually applicable in this situation. And, and it is what fears me that if it does come down to Jack used to be or Deshaun Watson. For some reason, they are going to view Watson as the more replaceable asset, uh, whether it be through draft picks or if they feel like they can get a quarterback who's uh, who's in the neighborhood or ballpark of Deshaun Watson. And for whatever reason, even though we have not gotten a direct answer to the direct question that Vanessa Richardson asked, uh, what exactly is Jack Easter be good at? 
or even to my question of why is he still here, we're not really sure. Well, we are sure, but we just haven't gotten it answered. It seems like it seems like that guy is in their minds irreplaceable. I, I can't wrap my mind around it. I really can't. But that is what that is what we're dealing with. I don't think they've had a gun held to their head, preferably, of course. But I, I think they they've not had that moment of well, they've they've had they've had decisions made easier or made easier for them rather when you've got somebody who's sitting there, you know. And I think and I, and I pick up a bit on River McCowan's article that he wrote last night, and a bit of it I picked up, and I've worked with people like this in the past that. If you approach something with the utmost positivity, push to aside your competency, things will be okay. And that's the kind of the the, the sort of stuff we were fed in that press conference. And you know, you, you heard Jack used to be, and he's he, and he look, he's done a great job hiding under his bunker or wherever he's living because you've never even seen anybody even see him. Because I think you know, and I think that's and I, I think. That's the the level of vitriol, you know. If he was in the street, I think somebody would approach him and tell him, you know, what what where he needs to go, and it's leave Houston. And I think that's what it it's what it feels like. It's bubbling. I don't, do you get that sentiment, you know, when you because obviously I, I see a, a digital version of this, which is skewed in a sense. But do you, do you get that feeling from the radio and just from people you speak to around town that if if you if somebody saw him and they were in the right frame of mind, they would approach him and tell him, you know, we don't want you here. Yeah, no, totally. I, yeah. I think so. Um, yeah, I would be shocked if I, I, you know, I'd be interested, I should say, to know, like, where does he go? You know, um, he's not necessarily the most recognizable figure because he's not everywhere. But for passionate Texans fans, they know what this guy looks like. You know, um, now he does kind of have a common look, you know, white ball headed guy. He could be anybody, you know, when like in a crowd, he doesn't necessarily stand out in a crowd. But yeah, no, I, I I get that sense, you know, especially now. I mean, think about it. Fire Jack Easterby or Fire Easterby, some version of that, was the number one or one of the number or one of the top trending topics in Houston on either maybe whatever, whichever day, either, either Tuesday or Wednesday, whenever it became clear that Nick Casario was going to be the guy, but before, obviously, before the Friday press conference. So on one of those days, it was the top trending topic, and like you said, Social media, digital is not the best way to gauge that. But it does tell you something about the people who are most passionate about the product. And I think if he was, you know, somewhere around town and saw some of these passionate folks, yeah, no, they, they would certainly tell him. Um, they would certainly tell him where they want him to go. I don't, I don't have any doubt about that. Yeah, because I, I often think, I mean, if I just use this, some of the sports that I've grown up with in terms of soccer, you know, and, I, I, you, know, and you see it at, at different clubs, you know, in the U.K., that if the fans are unhappy, they're standing outside the stadium, letting the you know letting the the uh, the team know. And partly that is because you play a lot more games over the course of a season, so it's more of an all round thing. But it feels like it's at that point of no return where people are so unhappy about things and the way in which a clunky process is being constructed, or 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 the lack of lack of respect towards your process and how you've you had a chance to redefine things. You've not taken that chance. You've just gone back to what you knew in a kind of safe option in Cal's head. And I think you, you're kind of on the you're on the point of or you're on the precipice of disaster. Because I think, you know, if you you know, and I think it's easy it's easy for people like me because I don't live there. I've I've been but I've been there every year for the last seven years before all this COVID stuff came. And I I could easily just, you know, shut off Twitter or whatever. And just take a step back, and if I just wanted to get away from it, just say the you know the, the the doomsday scenario does happen, and you say that you know like you were saying, and they take they take Easterby and look at another player as a dispensable asset. You know, I could take a step back from that um, a lot easier than you could when you you know you live in you know for example you Brown where you work there, um, talking about sports. And I think I I think Cal wouldn't trade Deshaun because he knows. You know, he's not a smart man. He's not a confident man. Mm -hmm. He's lucked into this. And look, if it was on his work ethic and his application and his nous and his business acumen and just his general, you know, logic, he would never have made the money his father made, right? 
that's no, yeah. It, it, it's hard to imagine. Yeah. Very hard to imagine that he would. The only, you know, the only thing I think he, he look, I think he wants to win. Yeah. I just think he doesn't have the foggiest clue about how to go about it. No, he has no clue. He's completely clueless. Uh, real quick on that point that you made about fans and being here, yeah. the difference and not being able to turn it off. I'll just give you one antidote from from the radio station. And, you know, I I did not check this guy's uh, whereabouts to confirm exactly, but he's called twice now, once earlier in the season uh, or maybe even prior to the season starting. So before things really even went off the rails on the field, you know, when it was the, the offseason drama of last year or leading into the year. And then at some point during the season, when obviously they were a losing team, there was someone who his his traditional route to get from point A to point B requires him to pass Herbie Drive. It requires him to pass the part of of the 610 loop that uh, where you pass NRG Stadium. Right. Well, he he has informed us that he takes alternate routes. Now, he refuses to pass by the stadium. He doesn't even want to lay eyes on NRG Stadium because of what's happening there, and it bothers him so much. So he's inconveniencing himself to go an alternate route just so he doesn't even have to stomach the view, the look of the stadium. So so that, that, that tells you, I think that's just one person, but if he's on the one end, can't even stand to look at it, how do you think some of the people who are who are sticking with it and and go up and look at it every week, every time that they can or every day that they can? You know, like just just imagine what the emotion is at that point. Yeah, and it, uh, I, yeah, and I think it just goes back to that point. I think you've got to hope that. And look, I think you know when you you had that that quote from Adam Schefter and it was at the Hopkins trade. Deshaun was a two. He's now a ten in terms of frustration, anger, whatever you want to call it. I don't believe he is that person where he would just flip a lid and go out. Now, look, he's been asked to do a lot. He's been asked to cover up a lot. He's been given multiple years of less than ideal circumstances. And those circumstances then bled onto the field irreversibly in 2020. But I, I just, from everything you've seen of him, I just can't believe he would he would completely flip his lid to the point where he doesn't even communicate. I think this is a bit of a managed power play and look I think and I, I saw uh, Seth Payne tweet this out today and I think the difference between this this sort of holdout if you like or potential holdout is that his interests are exactly aligned with the fans he only wants the best because he wants to win because he knows his talents are good enough to win and yeah. I think it's a bit of a managed move to it and I think it could be a master stroke or it could be an implosion of this team that I know but I hope it doesn't go the latter but it could it could go either way. But I feel like there's more at play than just going back to the Patriots South. And look, I, I and you know, and if just say hypothetically, if you do get rid of Jack Easterby, how much does that actually solve for this club? Competitively, I'm not sure if it solves yeah. anything. But as far as all of these other issues that we're talking about, I think it would go a long way. You know, it's a it's a hell of a hypothetical because I, I think there there is a close to zero percent. Let I, I would give it let's go two percent chance. Um, is is the is what I would put on it. Like I think it's that close to zero, so I don't see it actually happening. I think it would go a, a very long way to be quite honest with you. At least in terms of morale and like I said, all of these other ancillary issues they don't have anything necessarily to do with the on field product. I think it would be, I think it would be major. Uh, in terms of repairing the relationship with Deshaun Watson, uh, repairing the relationship and the trust within the locker room. Now, they're still going to have to do a lot of, of different things, I think, to establish that trust within the locker room because I just don't think that the belief is in that. And that's what I wanted to hit on with this point, or with this part of the discussion with Deshaun. And, and what you mentioned about it not just all of a sudden, like I agree with your point about this is this being more of a thoughtful power play, so to speak, like, the difference from being angry at level two to level 10, like that to me is, is largely hyperbole. And I think was just what Adam Schefter took out of the quote or, you know, from probably more than likely talking to Deshaun's agent, David Mulligata. But there, it, it is worth still considering that 
like whether it's two to 10 or gone from two to 10, it is worth considering that this is just a compilation of issues. And what it symbols is more of just a lack of belief, you know, more so than how angry he is. Because if he's angry or frustrated, he can calm down. You know, uh, if you look at Instagram, he's doing just fine, uh, you know, in, in Mexico with a significant other doing his thing. Like he doesn't he doesn't actually seem angry, even if he is frustrated <laughs> yeah. with the situation. But what it actually is, is a compilation of issues, which might I, I think you could probably even trace back to the to the DeAndre Hopkins trade. Not a good idea, a horrible move. But Deshaun Watson can chalk that up to the business. But when you see everything that's happened around that and since then, and then this influence that Jack Easterby has, um, the role that he took over, especially after Bill O'Brien was fired, this is, all of this is, is, it's a compounding effect. That's an exact quote, actually, from J.J. Watt. He wasn't, he didn't name Jack Easterby, but it's a compounding effect that, that you're seeing here. And the issue with, you know, his wanting to be involved has more to do with the lack of confidence in the organization and this thing that we all see and understand. He even said this on Sunday, uh, you know, not this past Sunday, but, you know, the last game of the season. There's no foundation. Everybody, there's no foundation. Everybody knows it. Everybody sees it. And even kind of smiled, you know, um, when I asked him about what he wants, what he wants out of a leader. He was asked that question in back to back days and gave great answers on both days. Um, One day by me and the next day by Aaron Wilson of the Houston Chronicle. Um, The first day he talks about no foundation and and needing to establish a foundation. The next day with Aaron Wilson, he talks about leadership, lacking a leader. Okay, who's the foundation and the leadership supposed to be? You know, the McNair family and whoever they trust, which would be Jack Easterby. That those are supposed to be the foundation and leadership, you know, outside of himself. And he does not believe in it, you know. Um, And so that is where the frustration comes from when he thinks he should be consulted about decisions because he doesn't believe in the decision makers. You know, like when Tom Brady was in New England, no, Bill, Bill Belichick didn't have to consult with Tom Brady because Bill Belichick is competent, knew what, he, knew what he was doing. You think about in Pittsburgh, they don't have to consult with or need to consult with Ben Roethlisberger because they know what the hell they're doing. You know, and just go on down the list of the organizations you respect. The Colts, you think the Colts are like, hey, Andrew, hey, Philip Rivers. Hey, you know, just, you know, name your Justin Houston. I don't know. Name your guy. The uh, Forrest Buckner. You think they go to any of your star players and like, hey, what do you think we need to do here? You know, they don't have to do that because they know what they're doing. And Deshaun Watson, I would imagine, would rather be in a situation, you know, the Kansas City Chiefs. He'd rather be in a situation where his advice or his consultation is not necessary or he doesn't feel it to be necessary. But that's not the situation that we're in with this one. Yeah, and I think until... Deshaun sits down with Casario and gives them a chance to see who he is. Because he's obviously, you know, judged it from afar. He's probably never had a conversation with him. A guy who made a habit of staying out of the limelight and let Belichick be the face of that organization. I think he needs to sit him down and just say, look, this is the plan. This is who I'm thinking of a head coach. I want your blessing. Blessing again. But uh, but in terms of that, but we want, want your input. And we want and we want you to be happy because you are the face of this franchise and you will be moving forward. And I think that needs to happen first. And I think until that happens, I find it hard to, you know, I can just imagine uh, all these guys out there making all these great pictures of Deshaun in different uniforms and, you know, sitting there <laughs> feeling great about themselves because they made it. You know, and don't, that's you great. don't you hate that? Does oh, that yeah. not bother you? Oh, my God. That is just so irritating to me. I yeah. just I didn't mean to interrupt you, but that is so irritating to me. Yeah. It, when, when I think of the image, I think of an overweight white guy with a ponytail sitting, putting down his his, uh, his headset of his of his whatever gaming console he's on, and sitting making that because he's got nothing better else to do, you know. And uh, and that's that's what I think. Um, but yeah, and that, that bugs me beyond belief because it's just it's kind of it's almost sort of childish in it in it in it in, it, in its origin. But the 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 point that I was probably trying to make. I was trying to remember the the guy, the video game guy from The Simpsons, but I can't remember his name. But anyway, the guy that's who it reminds me of that guy. I'm too. I'm too. I'm with you though. I know what you mean. <laughs> so, but the I think that the the point is until that conversation happens, we don't know where it's going to go, and mm-hmm. I think it's it's going to 
it's going to have to we're going to have to find that out and when that happens um but i think it's precariously close to being a complete disaster if you don't navigate through that this next you know two weeks to three or four, you know to a month yeah. it was nice though i think and probably and i didn't i didn't think this area was particularly convincing and we'll come on to the questions that we think should have been asked but it felt like it all happened very quickly and some of these answers reasonably generic didn't really reference many of the roster um you know it was all for sort of very reactive and i think what made me think i don't think he's as ready as he'd like to be for this press conference partly because i don't think he's had a lot of time to think about it because it was a rushed kind of culmination of decisions to bring him in um but i i think he he was there not in the fullest confidence that he knew what he was talking about because it all came together very quickly so he he needs an embedding period. I think everybody's you know is due that, and and you know and it has a right to to get this right in terms of the coaching hire. Was there any questions that you thought should have been asked? I know the one that you put out, and I thought it was so pertinent. What do you think of the of the various trades in eighteen months, and what's your summation of how this team's got to being, you know, an AFC champion or an AFC divisional round game to third you know to the third worst record in the league in in a year. Yeah, so I, I actually talked about this a little bit on the B Block podcast before the press conference when it seemed like when it seemed pretty clear that it was going to be Casario, or no, this is, yeah, this was after it was announced that they would have a press conference. I did a podcast, and you know, from a football standpoint, I mean, the question is solely about how do you put together a defense with how do you fix a flailing defense and underperforming not talented, however you want to classify this defense, that's not good. Let's just call it that. A bad defense. How do you address that with limited capital, with limited money, limited draft capital? Like you're going to have to be very creative in the ways in which you try to upgrade the defensive side of the ball. And quite honestly, it's an unenviable position. I would, <laughs> it's not a job that I actually would want to do, to be quite honest with you, because I, I, I honestly don't know how you fix the defense. I'm not sure if you can. Um, so that would have been more of my my football question. Like there were football questions to be asked. The defense, okay. Obviously, JJ Watt situation, the seventeen million dollar non guaranteed contract. What do you, you know, are you are you thinking restructure? That was your best player on the defense. It shouldn't be JJ Watt. Probably shouldn't be the best player on your defense at this stage in his career, but he was. So what do you do with that? Are you are you saying goodbye to your best player on your defense and building it from the ground up? Um, and then my my other football question would have been about scouting. And, you know, I look, if we're, you know, James Lifford, I, I, I don't know James Lifford personally, but I do think that the narrative around the state of this team has to tie back to scouting at some point. Not just the, the pro scouting, but college scouting as well, because it's their poor college scouting that led them to believe that, Laramie Tunsil was worth two first round picks. So like your scouting department to me and who's there goes into your overall philosophy on roster building. And so that's going to be very, very important in going forward. Like, are you going to have the same scouting department, the same people who said that, 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 that you would be picking in the back of the first round and there, there weren't any good players to get in the back of the first round and that you might as well just give them away anyway. Like, is that going to be be the philosophy under under Nick Casario? Because it was under under Bill O'Brien. Like, that's got to change. You know, whether it's a personnel or a philosophical change, whatever it is, that's got to change. You know, um, I would have loved to have gotten an answer to that. You know, um, so there's there's a number of things. I had a list of questions that I knew I would never be able to get to. On the on that example, I think that's a perfect one because if you think of the guys that came out in last year's draft, Tristan Wirth probably being the best, probably followed by Mickey Beckton. At the Jets, and it looks good in a struggling two-win Jets team. If you think of uh, Jedrick Willis at the Browns, the reason yes. why they're about to play a game next week and are still in the competition is because Bill Callahan's transformed that offensive line. Um, you know, if you take those three guys, okay, I know the Tennessee pick, um, the guy from Georgia has been an absolute disaster, and he might not even play a down for that ball club, but wait and see. And that's probably the region we would have been picking it. But you give up the second round pick and you move up. So that vital bit of information fed into that decision which has hamstrung us irreparably for this year 
And now, look, yeah. I mean, look, you could pick a Kevin Johnson at corner and it not work out and you're no worse off. So I think it gets magnified because it was so bold and brash. So, you know, picks are only as good as if you hit. And you're right, but I don't think we've had the foundation to pick. I would have loved to have seen the board versus who they picked. Um, because you think the Charlie Heck one as well was just was bog- mind-boggling. When you think you've got Roderick Johnson and restricted tender, you've just, you know, paid two, two, two firsts and a second. Well, you had three firsts and a second to assemble your, your two bookends. So why on earth do you want to spend another fourth? On that position, but yeah, I think so. I mean, that must. That, I don't know if that scouting played into that, or it was just all, you know, smart, tough, dependable, all that kind of stuff. But yeah, I think that's got to be, you know, one of the key points, a, a sort of low key point that needs to be overhauled in this building if we're going to move forward. But I think yeah, there's a lot to be worked out with Deshaun, and hopefully that that does. Uh, what did you think? Just very lastly on that Deshaun point. What did you think of the Tua Miami rumor? Now, I think I, I, you know, it's all hot air. I think, as you said, but the only thing I've probably learned from this, from the crazy trades that have happened, is when things start to come out that are specific. Does that give it a bit more credibility? I don't know, but it's certainly been there in the past. Early signs that probably people missed. Yeah. So my my thought on it, I would just reiterate a point that you made earlier that this is somewhat some. This is a little bit of posturing um, on, I think, Deshaun's camp or on their, on their part. You know, I, th- I think that's where because that specific scenario didn't come from the Texans who who are the ones who would have to execute the trade. Right. Like Deshaun Watson can't trade himself. So, and, and you know, his agent can't trade him. So I, I don't think that that came from the Texans. I think that came straight from Deshaun's people. And that is just to kind of I, I honestly believe to fan the flames and get the idea going of or to stress should say to stress that he is frustrated that he has even thought of a scenario of of the type of trades that he could accept like I, I think it's important for people and I think most people understand this but let, let's just play this out or, or map this out real quick Deshaun Watson has a no trade clause but if he it, which which means is if he demands a trade you can only trade him to the places where he says he'll go you see, so so like he can waive the no trade clause, but on the, the other side of that is the fact that he has one means that you can't just trade. You can't just trade him anywhere, basically. Um, so he's saying, you know, knowing damn well he's got a no trade clause in his contract. Here are the places that I'd be willing to go, um, you know, if and, if and when it comes down to that. I, I don't make much of it. Um, and I, I don't think that the specificity of it indicates anything more than what we already knew and understood okay and we already knew and understood that Deshaun Watson was unhappy very very unhappy like not just a a minimal frustration I think we already knew and understand that or understood that and I think this this just kind of furthered that conversation or further pushed those buttons I don't think that there is right now a scenario that has Deshaun Watson to Miami in play or Tua to Houston in play any of that or, or Jacksonville or anywhere. Okay. I don't think that there are trade scenarios on the table right now. I, I would, I would caution against that or, or, or to feel too strongly about that. But, 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 but I will point you back to the press conference when very early on in the press conference, in the question and answer portion of it, John McClain asked Nick Casario very directly, uh, if he'd kill the Deshaun Watson trade talk. Like, you know, there's talk about Deshaun Watson going to be traded. Will you kill that? And he did not. Um, and I, I said this on the radio, and, and, and forgive me if I offend anyone, but even as a journalist, you know, even as someone who values truth and transparency and honesty, I would have taken a lie there. Like, because I, I think the honest answer right now is that Casario has no idea. Having not talked to Deshaun Watson, he has no idea, or at least on Friday, had no idea what's going to happen with Deshaun Watson. Not a clue. But your initial position, <laughs> your initial public standpoint on it needs to be, we ain't trading Deshaun Watson. Hard stop. Not happening. Like, not he's our quarterback, because we already know that. We've been here. We've been here the last four years. We know who the quarterback is. Not he's our quarterback. We're well aware who the quarterback is. Will he continue to be the quarterback? Will you 
will you say publicly that I am not trading Deshaun Watson? I will fix this. And if I don't fix it, I'm going to I'm going to figure out how to get this fixed. We are not trading Deshaun Watson. Those are the words that I feel like needed to be said and needed to be heard. And quite honestly, whether it was the truth or not, whether it, it comes down to it that Deshaun Watson is mad enough to, to demand a trade and the relationship is irreparable. If it comes down that comes down to that, it comes down to that. And you can just say that things change. But that cannot be the the initial position cannot be anything less than we will not trade Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson is not on the trade market. Period. Hard stop. So the fact that that didn't happen bothers me and concerns me and should bother and concern fans. But I do not think that we are there yet where there are actual specific destinations for Deshaun Watson, Miami, Miami included, any any other place. I don't, I don't think we're there yet. See you, Mark. And, uh, Rock and roll, baby.